Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. three. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. And of course, Read us at Indie Corners. We have a lot of great stuff coming out. Uh, this is going to be just about my busiest week of the year with the draft coming up. I've been doing a lot of draft work. Um, and we, I mean, this is when all the trades start happening. Uh, I'm here today to talk about a lot of the rumors and just things that are going on. Uh, and for you guys who know me, I don't love talking about trade rumors. I just want to talk about the ball. But there's so much substantial smoke that we have to talk about it. Um, I want to say, first of all, thank you guys for being patient with me. I know it's been a little bit since I've gotten a podcast out. Um, this has been like the craziest week of my life. I've been trying to move out of my apartment. Finally got that done yesterday, but that was, you know, three trips back and forth uh, that were pretty long and had a lot of stuff going on. I've been really trying to keep up with everything with the draft, and I'd like to say I've done a lot with getting that out there. I went through a job uh, interview process that ended, I ended up turning it down, but um, that means that I'm back here and doing a lot more exciting stuff, uh, and I'm excited about that. Um, and I just want to say thank you guys for keeping up with me. This has been crazy. My stuff's kind of blown up recently, uh, and a lot of that is due to you guys. I'm not trying to hype myself up, but point being, I just thank you because this has been great, and I'm, I'm happy to be at IC doing my thing. Um, another quick update. Uh my draft board, I'm going to having kind of a draft board draft guide. I'm still figuring out the final way I'm going to have that out should be out on Wednesday. That is my goal. I'm going to absolutely just hammer on it today and tomorrow and, and have that out and ready to go before Thursday for you guys. Um, I feel really confident in my evaluations of probably 50 to 60 guys in this draft. Um, and that's not me just like blowing smoke up your ass. Like I, I promise, I know the, the podcasts have not been as many as I want, but they've all been really in depth. I have a lot of stuff that I'm very excited about that we have coming. Um, and yeah, so without further ado, thank you again for, for being patient. We have a lot to dive into. I, I'm going to give some of my own thoughts on it as well, but just a lot of reporting that is coming out. Um, I want to start off with obviously Miles Turner is in trade rumors again. Uh, somebody posted yesterday, and it was one of the funniest things I've seen because it's so true. Um, I think it was like, uh, no, I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, you know, uh, Miles has to, is taking the uh, the mantle from Josh Smith of of player most involved in trade rumors, and I, I just remember that because Josh Smith was always involved in trade rumors when I was a kid and growing up still. So it's just the it's it's kind of wild. Like I just I. Secretly, as a as a person myself, or not secretly, but like very openly, I just hope that things can get sorted out for Miles, whether it's, you know, him finding out that he's going to be with the team long term, or, you know, maybe he does get moved. I can imagine that is very wearing as a player to be like just constantly unsure of where you're going to be. Like that would wear on me for sure. I, I would just be like, okay, I just want to know what the hell I'm doing. Um, but point being from Sham Sharania, both Charlotte and New Orleans are interested in him uh, as it seems like those two teams are always linked to Miles, regardless, like for the last two or three years. Um, 
there's some interesting stuff there. We've talked about Charlotte many times. I think there's real framework if they're willing to move on from either P.J. Washington or Miles Bridges. Uh, there would have to be some kind of salary filler in there, but I think both those guys would make a lot of sense for the Pacers. If they were to move on from Miles, I understand people's hesitancy to move on from him, but it's just clear that if one of the bigs gets moved, it's almost definitely going to be Miles. Uh, obviously, I don't have reporting on that, but point being, all of the trade smoke that comes from this is with Miles. Uh, it, it just, at some point, we have to realize, okay, you know, if the team is going to trade one of the guys, it is going to be Miles. Domas is... Um, is the all-star. Um, I mean, I think it would be fair to say he's the better player. Both guys have their merits and bring different aspects of the game. I'm not the one running the team. Like, And I, I like Domas a lot. I'm not making that sound like I would trade him. I think you guys know where I stand. I'm pretty in the middle. Whoever nets you the best return, I think, is who you trade if you do ultimately end up doing a trade because I honestly don't even know if you should trade one of them. Uh, I think I would lean towards yes, but I could understand not. Um, I think there's some interesting stuff in looking at the – potential of a New Orleans deal. Um, some stuff came out from Sham Sharania, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, that the Grizzlies and Pelicans have discussed a trade that would send uh, Eric Bledsoe in the 10th pick to Memphis for pick 17. So essentially that would be a salary cap dump of Eric Bledsoe um, for the 17th pick. And I think that's something that's a little bit intriguing to me. Eric Bledsoe really struggled in Memphis, like had just easily the worst year of his career. I mean, I'm of course excluding most of his rookie deal because he wasn't a full NBA player yet. He's somebody I look at next year that could be a real bounce back candidate. Like his defense fell off a cliff this year. Part of that seemed like effort. Part of it was the team around him was just abysmal. Um, his offense was just out of place. Uh, the, the whole New Orleans team, it was a really rough year. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people there who have had similar thoughts on Eric. Like it just seemed like a lot just was not going his way. Uh, and I'm not trying to, you know, cater and make excuses. I do think, I mean, he's 31. I wouldn't be surprised if he's having some decline, but at the same time, I don't think that it was as steep as it appeared. Like I really do think he's somebody who could bounce back. So point being, let's say the Pacers trade, like, like if, if, if the Grizzlies are going to move the 17th pick, um, I mean, if the Grizzlies are going to just, yeah, the Grizzlies would um, would take on Bledsoe's contract just to, to move up to pick 10 from 17. Like, the Pacers could look at doing that, too. Um, obviously, I think the value would be a little bit different in the way that you look at it. And that's something where you look at, okay, well, maybe is there a framework for a deal with, with Miles where you take on Eric's contract, get the 10th pick. Maybe you don't even have to trade the 13th pick. Or maybe you, you do trade the, thir the 13th pick or something. You get Nikhil Alexander Walker back or something like that. Like, Point being, I think there, uh, you know, we're going to be keeping track of this as, as things come to the draft, but there is real framework for a deal there, and I also think that um, that there's a real opportunity that if if the Pacers did move that and make that happen, Eric Bledsoe would kind of make sense for the team. There isn't really a point guard on the roster, and I'm not saying that he's necessarily the point guard of the future, or the answer, but he's a guy who would bring you lineup versatility. He would be probably the best point of attack defender on the team. And I really do think he would have a bounce back year. I know that there are concerns with the offense, but at the same time, I think you have to look at it and say, okay, well, we'll be worried about that in the playoffs. We're trying to bounce back in the regular season. I still think that there are ways that he really brings a lot of value um, in the playoffs, potentially, you know, especially if the ball's in his hand is a little bit less, but um it's really not easy to say. Like, I actually thought the offensive end was where he had his most decline this year. Like, he really was not 
as effective as a driver. He didn't finish at the rim as well. He actually shot better from the field this year than he had in previous years, if I remember correctly. Like, shot from three better, I should say. Um, but I don't know. Point being, like, I, I don't think that would be as catastrophic as I think it's being made out to be. Getting a, a higher-end lottery pick would mean something. And I do think you would get another asset back, too. Again, it's not ideal, but we'll be looking because I think there's some real framework there. Um, moving on from that, another trade thing that came up, and this is one that I uh, that I think there's a little bit less uh, framework there. Uh, Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report, which if you don't remember, that is the uh, reporter who broke open the national report on, uh, on Nate Bjorkman and everything that was going on in the Pacers locker room. He's a credible guy. He has a lot of sources. Um so he put out in his recent news roundup that Eric Gordon in pick 24 for the 13th pick was discussed um, between the Rockets and the Pacers. Um, I'm not really sure about that. I, I'm, I think I'm higher on Eric, but uh, Eric, but so I am higher on Eric, but so, but I, I think I'm higher on Eric Gordon than most people like Eric Gordon is still a very good defender. I know he's old. I think he's 33 or 34. Um, his contract is pretty big. I would say he's probably a negative asset right now. So to me, this deal doesn't really make sense, but I, I'm not trying to discredit Jake's reporting. Like I'm sure that it's very real. Um, I just don't think that that's a deal that would actually happen. Like I, I could imagine it was discussed, but I'm sure the Pacers turned it down because the value isn't really there. But I also would just say Eric Gordon would help on the roster in some ways. Um, and I think he would have a smaller role in the Pacers, which would make more sense for him. Um, last year's context was really bad for him in Houston overall. Um, but the value in that deal just isn't really there, um, in my opinion. So I would be surprised if something like that went through, but just point being Eric Gordon would, would help the team if some kind of framework came through that actually made sense. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure that I see that as is uh, point. That, that's just the main point I'd be trying to make. Um, and he's more of a wing than a guard. Like he's six four, but six uh, three or six four. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I mean, he's pretty stout. He plays really strong at the point of attack. Just a good defender all around. Um, somebody who I think would kind of make sense for the team. You know, barring barring the contract because the contract is pretty big right now, and it still goes a couple more years. So it just depends on that one. Um, Next piece of reporting that I want to get into, uh, Jay Michael had a lot of great stuff that I caught up on uh, from this weekend um, or last last week or so, I should say. Um, and here is a, a bigger excerpt uh, from what he talked about with looking at the draft. Um, and this is a direct quote. They all have options, however, and that's a good spot to be in. They're not just, th and that's the Pacers. They're not just thinking about this draft, but pos positioning themselves for a bigger move that could come later in the season. For that, they'll need assets. That's why trading down and collecting them isn't a bad thing. To acquire Brogdon in 2019, that's what the Pacers did by stockpiling picks with smaller moves, such as helping the Houston Rockets get out of the tax by absorbing, absorbing their contracts in the cap space and waiving them. Now they must ask if Brogdon is the answer at point guard. And they have asked this, according to a league source, Danny Starr. Is that the best use of his skill set? Does he make others around him better? Okay, so a lot to unpack there with that. Number one, uh, he wrote a really interesting piece just in general talking about, you know, um, this is a really big offseason in general for uh, both Rick Carlisle and, and Kevin Pritchard. Not just the offseason, but this is a big opportunity. You know, this is Kevin Pritchard's second stop. You don't often get a third as a, as a front office exec. Um, 
And obviously, this is a huge job for Rick Carlisle. The team is trying to win now. I think that was the important thing. It's source saying the team is trying to win now. We know that, but like seeing it sourced is is a little bit different and important to see in that way. Um, I do. I'm just really interested by the way people are talking about Malcolm Brogdon um, and the way that people view him. Like I think it's pretty clear Malcolm Brogdon is not the answer at point guard, um, but that doesn't mean that he shouldn't be on the roster. Like I get moving on from him if he's there for a framework of a deal, like I do think if Ben Simmons is available, like which he is, and the Pacers have an opportunity, like I think the Pacers should do everything in their power to get Ben Simmons. Uh, I've, I've been pretty loud about that. I think you guys know um, there really isn't a reason to not trade for Ben Simmons. Um, like I, I can understand some of the concerns about on-court fit, but at the same time, I just don't think this team is in a place where they can worry so much about on-court fit. You have to get talent. Ben Simmons would be the most talented player on the roster, in my opinion. You make that deal. Um, I don't really care necessarily what has to happen for it. Um, maybe your team does take a bit of a, a, a backslide because you have to trade off some talent to get, get him. But ultimately, I think you're in a better place for trading for the most talented player. But going back to Brogdon, um, I think we saw last year, like he was still kind of the point guard of the team when he was playing with Karras, but really like he was setting initial actions and then doing a lot of second side stuff. His efficiency really went up. Um, he was getting better looks from three. I mean, I, I talked about this a lot last year and how much he was getting from the corners, um, especially with Karras, you know, taking over some more stuff. Um, so I... I just don't really understand like the obsession with with a point guard. Like I do think the team needs a point guard. Like could benefit from having a point guard, somebody who's really setting everyone up. Um, and there are guys in the draft who we'll look at and talk about. But I just think in looking at this, like Malcolm is an awesome two guard. He's an awesome wing to have on your team. Like he's so clearly valuable as an off ball player who can do things with the ball in his hands, who can play credible defense. Um, on, you know, two or three positions. I, I personally not against point guards. Like, we know he struggles against smaller matchups, but he's very good guarding up a position. He's good on guys his own size who maybe don't have a quickness advantage on him. I think some of the defense has been, uh, I mean, some of the ways we talk about his defense has been a little bit revisionist. Like, he's been put in very difficult spots. It's part of the thing with looking at this, this the lineup construction. Like, I think the team could really benefit from having somebody, like, if you mentioned Eric Bledsoe, like, if... Um, he probably doesn't solve your answers offensively, but like just getting Malcolm off ball more, getting him in a more ideal role, I think makes sense. So I think I understand that Malcolm would be a very good trade ship, but also just saying like he's it, it's okay that he's not quote unquote the point guard of the future because he's still a really damn good shooting guard. Um, but also I would come back and note like it makes a lot of sense that he is involved in trades. Um, He's, his deal expires at the end of 2022, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. Um, so his deal is, you know, coming up relatively soon. Um, and he doesn't make a ton of money. He makes a lot of money, but not a ton, which makes it easier for framework in, in deals. Like he's got a deal that it's very easy for teams to, to match salary on, uh, without having to, you know, conglomerate three guys in a single trade. So I could understand why it would happen. But I also just think that there's a lot there. Like I, I just... We, we have to look at roles a little bit differently. And I think we see this with Domas a lot. Like everybody's like, oh, well, Domas is a, this and this, and he doesn't do that. And same thing with Miles. Like everybody's like, oh, he's a center. He doesn't rebound. Well, it's different. Like, first of all, you're negating the boxing out. But second of all, like traditional roles are out as far as I'm concerned. Like it's all about 
Can all five guys on the court do things in a way that makes your team viable? Um, it's so much less about, oh, well, do I have a traditional power forward? Do I have a traditional center? Do I have this? Do I have that? Um, it's not really like that anymore. Like, I think it's less about the NBA being positionless. It's more about the NBA being more skill-based and finding ways to, to make those skills fit across the board, finding uh, guys who make those skills happen across the board. And I think that's what you're seeing with the Pacers right now. Like, my, my point, uh, I, it sounds a little convoluted, but point being, like, we can't be so obsessed with the role. Like, we don't have to worry about is, is Karras the lead ball handler? Is Malcolm the lead ball handler? Like, yes, the team needs a lead ball handler, but at the same time, like, you know, tripling over usage and, um, you know, who's got the ball the most and this and that, it just seems fruitless in some ways. Like, talent is talent, and finding ways to make it work is important, and it's so much less about uh, archetype and role dominance in that than anything else. And I, I just think that's important to know, especially like looking at the draft coming up, like, um, okay, well, how, how do guys unlock certain things for your roster moving forward? Like if you get a guy who is more of a ball handler, um, that can bump guys up a position. So like, okay, if, if Malcolm can be off ball more with a guy who comes off the bench that you draft, that makes sense. Like there, there are ways to look at it. I, I'm going to take a quick break before we come back and talk about the draft. Cause I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, we're going to look at the mock from Jonathan Gavoni over at ESPN. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, welcome back. Um, so we're going to dive into the draft a little bit now. Um, obviously, I was talking about a little bit to, to, to cut out there. Um, and kind of in a conglomeration with that, I think I've said that word like seven times this podcast. Apologies for that. I got to expand my uh, my dictionary for this. Or is it a thesaurus? It's just, it's just, it's a, so thesaurus is such a hard word to say. Jesus. Um so another quote from Jay Michael, um, the Pacers are likely to lose Doug McDermott coming off the best season of his career to free agency because of his escalating price tag. That's something I wrote on last week. I think that that's probably realistic. Um, and again, I, he's sourced. I am not in this area. Um, but, you know, I wrote about that with looking at Marcus Sigurovsky, um, you know, the idea of TJ leaving and uh, I mean, TJ McConnell leaving so that Doug could 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 be could be re-signed by the team because it's going to be very difficult to sign both um and that leads a lot into looking at how the team might draft um you know i think i've talked quite a bit on here and in other podcasts and mediums about the way the pacers should look at the draft and i think they look at it differently than i do and that's not necessarily a bad thing i i don't think i'm smarter than them i tend to look at it okay well you know who's the best player available that we can develop um, and I mean, we, myself, I guess they would look at it as the Pacers, obviously, but like, you know, you have to find the best player available who makes sense for your team at the same time too. I think it is a little bit different looking at pick 13. Like I think with this pick, the team really needs to find somebody, uh, who can be a long-term who they view as a long-term member of their core, um, and who elevates their core. Because this is the first time, again, you know, we've said it a million times, this is the first time they're drafting in the lottery in six years. And I think this is a real opportunity for them to find somebody who is going to have staying power on the roster. Because you look, like, Aaron Holiday is probably out. Like, I don't know if he's going to get traded, but it, it seems like he's not really, I mean, he's not seems. He's clearly is not in the Pacers' long-term plans. Uh, like, I think if, um, you know, things would have shaken out differently if he were. Uh, Jay Michael also wrote on that a little bit and talked about how he's somebody who's wanted to be out of Indiana. Um, 
and that makes sense. Like he hasn't really had a place. His his role has been so up and down. Part of that is his play, but also part of it is there are so many guys on the roster. Um, so that's something that is important to note. But my point is, in looking at this pick thirteen, I think this is just my personal opinion and, and bias in looking at the draft. I really want the team to go all in on trying to find somebody who is going to. Uh, Maybe they are more raw would be the wrong way to put it, but just somebody with a lot of upside. And it's easy to say that, you know, it's easy to, for me to watch film and be like this and that, like, you know, I think this guy's more upside. I don't know as much about the personal stuff um, because I'm not, I mean, I do have connections there, but it's not like I'm, you know, and, and it's an insider on, I'm on a prospect personality or anything like that. Um, but I think you can look at some things pretty clearly and say, okay, well, this guy's trajectory probably is going to be better than the other guys. But that could also flip on its head uh, within two or three years. We'll really have no idea. And that leads to, so, you know, we mentioned Doug McDermott. Uh, The Pacers just worked out Corey Kispert last week out of Gonzaga. He's a guy I have a lot of thoughts on. Um, I know he has a lot of fans for him as a lottery pick, and I'm not quite there. I still think he's, a, I mean, a surefire lock for the first round. Like, regardless, he's going to get drafted in the first round. He deserves it. Um, I just am not sure that I'm there with him at the 13th pick. Um, he's somebody I look at, and I think if the idea might be you draft Corey Kispert and he's somebody who helps you right away, um, and I think there's validity to that. Like, he is a very good shooter, but I would also hedge and say that I, I don't think that he is quite an elite shooter like he's been made out to be. Um you know, and really parsing back through things this week and, and watching his games. Uh, he's so good, you know, with a one dribble, uh, one dribble sidestep. He's not really a great pull-up shooter. He's a good, like, one dribble, uh, set his feet and let it fly. He's got kind of a stiff shot, though. And yet that really comes through coming off movement. So he is not a very good movement shooter right now, in my opinion, um, because of that stiffness. Like, he really is not very flexible, um, he's not great at, at taking shots from different angles. Um, like, I mean, in, in terms of like how his body's angled is the way that I would say it. So like one of the guys like Jared Butler right now out of, out of Baylor is a fantastic angle shooter. Like he's so good, um, at contorting his body to hit shots. And we see that with Doug McDermott, like Doug McDermott is a fantastic movement shooter. Like he's so good coming with speed off of screens, getting the ball and letting it fly right off a of handoff. And right now, Corey Kispert struggles quite a bit taking shots off handoffs, um, you know, out of um, out of more movement-based plays. And that's not to say that that should completely knock him as a prospect. But to me, like, if I was going to draft this guy who's an elite shooter with the 13th pick, he's coming in with some more of those skills. Because I think, especially with how we've seen, um, you know, the way that the offense plays, and they'll play differently under Rick Carlisle. Um, but I would just, like, that is a little bit of a concern for me in, in the idea of taking him at 13, like I think there are guys who I would rather swing on with the 13th pick that I think will bring more value to the team potentially in a higher usage role, which I think is something the team should be looking at. Um, again, like going back and talking about point guards, like obviously you could talk about Sharif Cooper, who I'm I'm writing on. I'm hoping to do a podcast on relatively soon, um, and I'll I mean we'll talk about him more today. But I think there are real opportunities to get somebody who's going to have um higher levels of impact potentially and again that's all just my opinion that's from me having watched this from me having talked to people and and knowing scouts um 
and being around scouts and just, you know, bouncing ideas off them. Like, I do think Sharif Cooper is going to have a better NBA career than, than Corey Kispert. I might be in the minority on that, but I also think he's somebody you should be willing to swing on because if Sharif Cooper were on the Pacers today, he's the best playmaker by far. He's the best ball handler. Um, he just brings an element to the team that they don't have. I don't think that they're going to take him at pick 13. I know that they've worked him out. Um, I think if they took him at pick 13, that would be a fantastic pick. But getting back to Kispert, um, I think I look at this with Doug. Um, like if you're letting Doug go, I understand it. I, I think I still think he's probably going to get around 12 to 13 million per year for a three or four year deal would be my guess. I mean, it seems like he's going to get more than the MLE. I would be kind of shocked if he didn't. I also don't think he's going to get the same kind of money Joe Harris got unless the team really falls in love with what he could bring them. Um, and here's my thing. Like I, I just like with Corey, I, I like him a lot. I think in terms of the defense, I think he's going to be a better defender at the NBA level than, than Doug because, and I'm not trying to com, com, like completely compare the two, you know, they're both six, seven and white. So it makes it like an easy comparison, but just, I'm looking at this from a Pacers perspective, like, okay, it seems like if you're drafting Corey Kispert, it is to replace Doug McDermott, who's leaving in free agency. So there are comparisons you can make there. Um, Corey would probably be a better defender from day one. I think he's a better team defender already. He's got good instincts. He probably moves a little bit better. He's definitely stronger. He's much more filled out than Doug, just has a stronger base overall. But he also has a small wingspan, like he's 6'7 with a 6'7 wingspan, which isn't great. Um, but he's got enough size that I think he's going to be more like a Joe Harris type, like neutral defender as a shooter. Like there are a lot of guys who were looked at as shooters that just aren't awesome defenders in that archetype. Like, um, like you can look at a guy like Anthony Morrow, like he was a very bad defender because of size and stature, but like looking at, and again, that's, I'm not trying to equate the two that Kispert's a much better prospect than somebody like Anthony Morrow was. But, um, just point being, I think there's oftentimes like you see a guy who's a shooter and you're like, Oh, he probably isn't a good defender. Like that, that just comes into play sometimes. But, um, my other thing with Kispert is I have a lot less confidence in him, uh, off the catch, um, you know, so like obviously he can catch and shoot, but if somebody tries to run him off the line, I don't really trust him, A, to get to the rim, which Doug is fantastic at. B, I don't think he's an awesome, like he's an okay shooter inside the arc. Like I mean, he's a good shooter inside the arc, but like, again, really stiff shot. Um, I just think it would be very easy for teams to, to be like, okay, well, we're just going to run him off the line and force him to make decisions. And I think he's an okay decision ma maker off that. He's a fine passer, but I don't think that he's awesome at that. And this is me nitpicking. Um, but I just think, you know, coming in and saying, well, well, Corey Kispert is going to replace Doug McDermott's value if we draft him 13th. I don't think so. Like maybe in two years, but right away, I a lot of my main point with this is, there's this idea that a guy's going to come in and be able to replace value for you right away. Um, and that just isn't a realistic option. Like even if you draft Chris Duarte, who I like Chris Duarte a lot, I don't think I would draft him 13, but point being like, there are very few rookies who ever have a positive impact in their first year. Um, like just metrics wise. And also just in general, like it's very difficult to have a positive impact when you're coming in as a first year player. Um, like there will be moments of positive impact, but overall, like it's not going to be positive impact. So I think that's something that I just keep coming back on. Like, I understand that the team wants to maybe go in a direction, like they want to keep building. They want to be a good team moving forward. But I also think you have to be willing to risk 
taking somebody who is a little bit more uh uh tenuous is not the right word but like i think you just have to be more willing to take a, a gamble here with the 13th pick like if you have pick 21 or 22 and Corey kispert or chris duarte are there like i i love that selection and i do think they're a guy who is going to be a rotation player in the nba for a long time and maybe even starters like i think kispert will be a starter i think duarte has a chance to be a starter if things really hit for him and he cleans up some of his defense but i think you just look at this and i really just think it is flawed uh, if the organization does think that they can replace Doug McDermott or TJ McConnell's value just in the draft. Like, I think you can't really look at it like that. Um, you have to just say, well, what is the value that we need that we could get out of this guy in two or three years? And again, that's more just my opinion and how I look at things, but I, I also think there's some real validity to that. Um, next thing I want to hit on, because uh, I think that's probably enough about Corey Kispert. Um, because I, again, uh, last thing on Kispert, I really do think he's going to be a good player, and I think he might have a better NBA career than, than, than Doug. But still, it's just so hard to look at and say he's going to replace his value right away um, because he just doesn't do the same things. Part of that is stuff that he'll learn and get better on in the NBA, but it's just worth worth noting that. Um, and I think there are better upside plays uh, or better uh, uh, star is the wrong way to put it. There's just better... There are better opportunities to really swing on... Um, on investing in someone than than trying to play it safe in that regard. Um, so that moves us to Jonathan Gavoni in the ESPN mock draft. With the 13th pick, they had the Indiana Pacers selecting Davion Mitchell out of Baylor. Um, I was interested by this. Uh, some of the wording there was actually really funny because I think I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but essentially said like some of the uh, allure of his tournament run has worn off as he's played against younger prospects in one-on-one workouts. And I just thought that was kind of intriguing because it's like, first of all, you know, and this is not me trying to slander Davion Mitchell, but just point being like, we always get guys with tourney bumps and like, no shit that's wearing off. Um, like, of course it is, you know, as, as, as that fades away, like, yeah, we're going to realize, Hey, he had an awesome tournament. That doesn't mean it should paint our whole picture of him. Um, I am not in love with the Pacers taking Davion Mitchell at 13 without some real changes on the roster, which I think there will be changes on the roster. But point being, he is the, the, like we've talked about this so many times. The, the 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 roster is chock full of combo guards and small wings, and it is so hard to construct lineups with all those guys. Um, I think Davion Mitchell is a guy who I'm I'm probably higher on than a lot of my friends who cover the draft um, and our scouts um, because I do think there's real stuff there. I know some of the stuff with him is more like is the shot real i don't think he's a 42 i think he shot 42 percent from three uh took a lot of stuff off the dribble but was still a very poor free throw shooter like sub 70 percent was in the low 60s this year um that's real those are real questions like okay well why is he a bad free throw shooter but a good three-point shooter um was not a good three-point shooter or even a high volume three-point shooter before this year um, so that's stuff to look at. I, but I also think like, just given the track record, like it seems like based on Intel, um, he is a ridiculously hard worker, which I think most guys in the NBA are a majority of guys are, but like, he is like one of the notorious, I'm going to get better this off season at something guys. And you've seen that throughout his career. I mean, he started at Auburn redshirted, uh, started, uh, immediately for Baylor and then started again this last year. Um, He's improved a ton every single year, and you can see that and track it to the next level. 
Uh, it's just hard with him because he's uh, he ended up he had a rough combine because you know I think he was listed at six two or six three when he was playing at Baylor and he came in at like six six foot like barely six foot one inch shoes with like a six five wingspan which isn't bad you know like for a, for a one that's that's fine but he's going to be mostly a one position player in the NBA who could probably guard some twos but ultimately like. It's just harder to have a guy like him on the roster or not on the roster, but like in lineups. So I do think you could unlock some things in lineups in terms of allowing like, you know, maybe Malcolm kicks up a position, maybe Karis picks up, kicks, kicks up a position. But also, I don't really think Davion Mitchell is a lead ball handler in the NBA, which is what makes things weird because this team does not have a wing initiator. Like if you had a wing initiator, somebody who's carrying a lot of the offense from the three um, or just in general, you know, who's not a a smaller guard and they're carrying most most of the offense. I could see that with, with drafting Davion at 13. It's just tough because like we've talked about, there is not somebody who we are really looking at on the Pacers roster saying, Oh, they're going to um, have most of the usage and, and you're fine with that. Uh, like it's a lot of stuff by committee. And I think if you're going to have a guy who's six foot or six foot one, that isn't really, I mean, he's a fine downhill threat. He's kind of an erratic driver, um, he's solid around the rim, but also he's just not like, he's not quite the passer that you need to be to be a, a top level playmaker in the NBA. And that's something that he could work on and improve on, but it is just so much harder to develop playmaking and ball handling getting into the NBA. And like, I think as an individual creator, his handling is good. Like he's good at creating separation. He's good with step backs. Like his, uh, what, what's tough though, is like, you look at everything that happened with the shot this year, like shooting 42%. A lot of that is coming off of self-created threes, and that's good. But also, was this just a hot stretch? Is that something that that you think is going to translate to the next level? I am not sure, and I think I'm probably lower on that than others because I just it's very difficult to be a 42% shooter from deep on super high volume with a lot of self-created makes, especially considering that this is the first year he's really done that. So you don't really know. Um, Point being, this is not, again, not me trying to slander Davion Mitchell. I do think he could bring some good things to the Pacers. Like, he would be, he is an exceptional point of attack defender. Um, I'm not really sure about the help defense because Baylor played like a strictly no middle defense. They iced every ball screen. Um, So you really don't see guys on an island a ton uh, in their defensive system. But within that system, he was very good. And I think he's not, he probably has not gotten enough credit for that. Like, um, he's very stout. Like he actually is in some ways, like I wouldn't consider him a Bledsoe level defender, but he is kind of like we've talked about with Eric Bledsoe. Like he's a guy who you can count on at the point of attack. He's very good getting over screens. Um, but he doesn't have like super elite length or anything. So you wonder what that looks like on contests and whatnot. Just being smaller makes it harder to, to cover ground in some ways. But, um, point being like, he is a, he's a, he's a plus defender, for one position at least, uh, you know, defending other guards, which is what makes it a little tougher. Okay, well, if you're playing a team like, let's say they play um, like the Clippers and the Clippers, and again, this is just one example, so I don't think you can use that to, to paint everything. But if they do play a team that's running, like, you know, five uh, five guys who are six five or taller, which is what the Pacers lineup tends to be, like, what is Davion's place on there? Because I think that's a guy who gets attacked. Like, we saw that Aaron Holiday really struggle when he was in the starting lineup this last year because he got picked on a lot. Like, even if it's, um, you know, just Mikhail Bridges against Phoenix who, who gets easy pull-ups over Aaron, even though Aaron's contesting the hell out of him, it doesn't matter because he's six foot. 
and you can't really contest somebody who's six foot seven that well. Um, so that's stuff to think about. Uh, and I just don't know where I'm at with his upside. I think he turns 23 before the NBA season starts. And that's not everything. I think age can be a little bit overrated in talking about the draft and looking at draft positioning. But there is a real, like, okay, you could draft Sharif Cooper, who is, I think, 19 right now, or Davion Mitchell, who's going to be 23 in two months. Like, that, it does change things. Like, what do, you have to have confidence. Okay, well, what does this guy's tra- trajectory look like coming to the NBA? Because even if a guy's older, and this is another knock on being an older guy coming in the draft. Like your trajectory is going to be the same as somebody younger than you, uh, in some ways, not not completely. But I think there's you have to look at it and say, while this guy is older, has like adjusting to the NBA level is completely different. Like if you okay, like so, Sharif is three years younger than I believe three years younger than Davion, and if you're coming in, Sharif is three years younger, and he's going to have those extra three years of NBA development. And again, it's not that cut and dry. Like, it's not all just age. Like, I think sometimes we look at uh, guys who are getting drafted and say, like, oh, well, he's going to be with this team for, like, 10 years. And that just very rarely ever happens. Like, I don't think you can look at things quite like that, Um, which is why I think you should be a little bit – why I think people should be a little bit less harsh in looking at draft age in some ways. Like, it's different with Chris Duarte because he's going to be 25. his second year in the NBA, which is kind of wild. Again, that's not meant to be a knock, but that's just, that's the truth. Um, But point being, again, I've said point being a thousand times, but with Davion Mitchell, I do think he brings quite a bit to the Pacers that could be interesting, but I just think there are enough question marks where I'm not really there with 13 for him. Like, I think I have him top 20 right now. I don't have him, like, I... I don't think it would be as catastrophic as some people are making it out if he were 13. But I would say if the Pacers do select him at 13, and I would also point out too, um, one of my friends pointed this out to me the other day. I mean, Jonathan Gavoni has often, like his his mock, mock drafts are normally pretty Intel-based, if I remember correctly. Um, and a lot of the selections end up having some validity. Um, so let's say the Pacers really do like Davion Mitchell and they do draft him. Um well, I just would have a lot of questions. Okay, well, what are you doing with the rest of the roster? And I think we know like there should be changes this offseason, but if there aren't, that's like uh it's a little bit murky because we know what the team really needs in some ways. Like obviously you can say the team needs, you know, a number one option. Like, no shit, they always have. But I think what I would say the team really needs, or that is attainable, I should say, is like a a three four who can come in uh and help build up some of the lineup versatility because we saw so much last year how much the team missed that um or made like just some wing or who is able to to build out some of the lineups because i think it's it's less about um it's it's not that i think wings are better than everyone or anything like that i think that there's that idea that gets thrown around a lot. And I think there are a lot of people who value wings more than other players. And I, I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but I think it's just important to look at a guy with size who can defend multiple positions and say, Hey, this allows us to bridge the gap with a lot of our lineups. Like this allows us to play more of our, our roster in some ways. Like we can be more flexible. We can adapt to other teams. We can f- force teams to adapt to us. And that is just something the team really lacks. Like, it just doesn't often feel like this Pacers team is able to force it. And part of this is painted by last year being a really rough year. So maybe it's an unfair thing to bring up, but this team really does struggle to force teams to adapt to them 
and the way that they're playing in some ways. Um, like obviously team that's that's it sounds like counterintuitive. Like of course teams are making adjustments to what the Pacers are doing, but like it always feels like the Pacers are the team coming up short roster wise against the top teams in the NBA. Um, like against the Bucks, they always struggle to find ways to adapt their roster to how the Bucks are playing. Um, well, what if they were able to find a way to make the the Bucks have to adapt their roster to how the Pacers are lining up or how they're they're running out their rotation? Like I think that's what it's more looking at in terms of okay, instead of having you know f- seven guys on the roster who are six four or shorter, um, you got to have. Let's not. That's me exaggerating, but like point being. Um, there, there's just there's there's something there. Like I, I do think there's there's something to having more of that lineup versatility because the team really sorely lacked that. There's still a lot of question marks with O'Shea Brissett. Like, what is he going to look like this year? How is that going to work out? Um, is his shooting going to regress? Um, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic with that, but you just never really know. Um, so yeah, uh, I want to end off on again my uh, my big board slash draft guide. Is going to be coming out in a day or two, well, probably two days. Um, I know this was a, a lot of information in one podcast. We had a lot to catch up on. I just want to say thank you again for um, being patient and and sticking uh, sticking with me and, and keeping supporting me. I know uh, I was I was pretty absent for a little bit. Well, I, a week feels like a really long time to me, but uh, I, I needed the time to take care of a lot of other things. We are going to be back with a ton this week, like literally so much. Uh, Caitlin and I are probably going to pod later on this week. I know Tom and I will be on. I have uh, some special guests coming on this week to talk about some more prospects. And we will, of course, have stuff right after the draft. Um, Thank you guys again for listening. Uh, Again, if you haven't, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We're just about to 60 ratings. It would be awesome to get 60 before the draft. Um, If you have any questions, comments, anything, please hit me up. on Twitter is probably the easiest way to get to me. Um, I'm not always great at reading the Indie Cornrows comments. I try and get around to it, but Twitter is definitely the easiest way. Um, Have a good rest of your day, and thank you again for listening.